0: Father in heaven, we come before you thanking you for the opportunity to learn. And as we begin this message, as we begin this testimony experience, I ask in a special way that you will come into our hearts. We love you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go in our Bibles to John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Kind of a fun little study I like to do. Um, Before I do that, there's a quote that I want to bring your attention to. And Spencer, can I have you set up this uh, marker board? I definitely can use that now. Evangelism, page 53. It says, study Christ's methods. If ever it has been essential that we understand and follow right methods of teaching and follow example of Christ, it is now. So, what I thought it would be nice to do is to go over the example of Christ and how he witnessed to specific people. And you see this in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. God, uh, Jesus, I should say, witnesses to two very different people at, at very different times, and we see the same result. So, we're, we're going to be looking and studying that. So we're going to look at John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, and I like to to do this because it really, I think, teaches us, it shows us the method of Christ and how He witnessed to others. So in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, you can look at this for reference. We're not going to go through and read it right now. But in John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was... Nicodemus right now in John chapter 4 it's something very different by the way you're gonna want to turn back and forth between these two chapters in John chapter 4 Jesus is with the disciples and they leave to buy food and then he says in verse 4 and 5 I must needs go through Samaria and then in verse 6 and 7 he meets a woman and do we know the name of this woman No right so what do we call her the woman at the well that's how we know her as because she doesn't have a name you know what's interesting about these two stories if you study John 3 and John chapter 4 you will find that Jesus has textbook methods of evangelism and I'm going to explain in John chapter 3 we have someone who is named Nicodemus In John chapter 4, we don't have her name. So what I would do, if you're taking notes, what you want to do is show the differences. And this will help us uh, figure out how to witness to the different people. So John chapter 3, Nicodemus. And in John chapter 4, no name. Or woman at the well, right? Now as we go through this story we will find that what is the gender of the individual in John chapter 3? Do you guys remember? What's Nicodemus? Male, right? Now, some of these seem elementary, but it's going to get harder. So Nicodemus, his gender is he is a man. And in John chapter 4, what is the gender? Woman, okay. Where did Jesus witness to Nicodemus? Where, Where was he? Okay, let's, okay, garden, but specifically, he goes somewhere, he goes to the Mount of Olives, right? So, in John chapter 3, they go up to the Mount of Olives. The reason why is because Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen by anyone, so they go off a far place, go to the Mount of Olives. In John chapter 4, where do they w- witness to, the, where does Jesus witness to this woman? Yeah, it's at a well, but specifically, it's out in the open, it's in the valley. In fact, if you study this, it's in the valley of Samaria, so... Are you seeing the contrast mountain valley okay What about their religious background if you want to call it uh, the religious background what is what is Nicodemus okay He's of course a Jew okay What is she She's a Samaritan right we could call a Samaritan a, a Gentile, a Greek. Someone who's not Jew, right? Anyone who wasn't a full Jew, you are a Gentile. So basically a Jew and a, or a Gentile. What about their educational background? If we were to look at their resumes. Does anyone know Nicodemus' educational background? How many letters he had behind his name? <laughs> That's right. Um, before we ask that question, a, a clue is let's, let's talk about uh, profession. That will help us to understand. What was Nicodemus? Okay. He was a Pharisee, but not just any Pharisee. Does anyone know specifically what Pharisee? It's kind of like there's a difference with a pastor and a, the general conference president. Yes, they're both pastors, but one is much higher, right? Does anyone remember Nicodemus, what his profession was? Not only was he a Pharisee, he was a Sanhedrin. He was a Sanhedrin. If you were a Sanhedrin, you were a lawyer of the law. You were part of the Council of the Seventy. You were the par- top, top, top in the country, right? So he was a lawyer slash, you know, religious leader. Now, in order to be a lawyer and a religious leader, what, was, what is his educational background? Right? Master's, Masters doctorate. Post-college, right? The they had. Yeah, the highest that you can have. Okay, so this woman, what is her occupation? Uh, right, it doesn't give one. In fact, some have alluded that she probably has dabbled with prostitution, with all the lovers she's had, with all the husbands, all the different marriages, possibly. We don't know. The bottom line is we don't know what, what, what profession she had, and so... Uh, what you can see is someone goes from lawyer, religious leader, and you have someone unemployed. Slash illegal activities, maybe. And then we have someone who took post-college. What is her educational background? Maybe third grade. Yeah, okay, right? Uh, at that time, women were not allowed to have... To, to basically have higher education many of them were even illiterate and that's the reason why in the, remember in the Corinthians when, when we see that um, Paul says that women should, to, should not say anything in church well the context of that is women were illiterate they couldn't read they didn't understand a lot of things and so they sat on two different sides women sat on one side men sat on one side and when women had a question they would yell across the room and say hey I don't understand what he's saying and Paul's saying hey tell the ladies in the church to be quiet that's the context of that so post-college, and let's just say uneducated. All right, thank you. Let's, um, let's look at time. Um, what time of day did Jesus meet Nicodemus? Midnight. Right, specifically midnight, right? Midnight. Yeah. Does anyone know what, type, what time of day Jesus met the woman at the well? Midnight. Noon. 12 a.m., 12 p.m. All right, what else can we look at? Um, We look at their financial status. Okay, this one I I like, one of my favorite ones. Um, Financial status. Um, Nicodemus is beyond rich, he's a billionaire. In fact, I believe it's Josephus who wrote about Nicodemus and said that he was so rich, he could fund the Jewish economy from his bank account for the next 10 years. Bill Gates cannot fund the U.S. for even six months, just to put it in perspective. This woman here was so poor that she had to go out and get water on her own. If she was rich, she would have hired servants get water for her, but she was poor. Yeah, this, this one is, is my favorite one. When did they accept Jesus? I like this one. Yes. Immediately, right? Immediately accepted Jesus. And Nicodemus, not until after he died. So three years later. You know, Jesus talks to him in the beginning of his ministry. This is John chapter three here, and uh, she accepts Jesus immediately, he accepts Jesus later. I love this one, too. Uh, Nicodemus, we know this, um, you know, in Acts, when it says, help turn the world, they they turn the world upside down. Do you know how they were able to turn the world upside down? Do you know where they got the financial resources for that? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. So, Nicodemus helped turn the world upside down. And this woman helped turn her town upside down, right? Because of her testimony, many people accepted Jesus. Now, I like this story. I like looking at John 3 and John 4. I don't know if it's helpful for you. It's helpful for me because it helps me to know okay, is this person a John 3 person or are they a John 4 person? Are they rich? Are they poor? Um, Are they, what is their college, what is their uh, financial background? What is their um, educational background? What are they in regards to the church? And it helps me to understand that Jesus met someone with a name. In other words, he was important, someone who was not important. Someone who was a man, someone who was a woman. You go through this and you see that this story continues in contrast, back and forth you see that the result of, uh, of, of, uh, of converting a rich man to Christ helps turn the world upside down. You see his influence. And you see that someone like her, she'll accept immediately, but she'll help maybe just turn a city upside down, which, of course, praise God for that as well. But now we understand the importance of reaching out to the rich. And by the way, if you don't know the importance of that, Ellen White has a whole chapter about reaching out to the rich and the fluent in society because of the influence that they have you turn, you win one of these people they'll win hundreds if not thousands of them right now here's one thing that i i love to share at the very end all of these contrasts these differences but there is one thing they have in common does anyone know what the one thing in common what it was sorry Yes, they both met Jesus. That's right. Uh, You're close. Okay, they're both hungry. The the one thing they have in common is Jesus met them both one-on-one. Jesus was surrounded with 12 disciples. He got away from them in John 3, met Nicodemus one-on-one. John chapter 4, the disciples are with him. He sends them off to get food. What this tells me is it doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, affluent, uneducated. The method to reach people is one-on-one. And the way that this woman reaches people is through her testimony, right? We saw this. So what we're going to do now is we're going to concentrate on sharing your testimony because that's the one thing that you have that people cannot argue with. And for this, my wife is going to share, and she's an excellent presenter, and I love listening to her. (laughs) And so we can listen to her, and she's going to be sharing about how to um, share your personal testimony. And Leilani, but maybe we can, maybe someone can get the screen down.
1: Dear Father in Heaven, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share on uh, your personal testimony how important it is uh, when giving Bible studies or uh, just as a witnessing tool. I pray that you will send your Spirit to especially um, help me as I explain, that I will be clear and brief and. Um, Enthusiastic Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, my name is Candace Tuazon. I'm the happy wife of Michael Tuazon, and I um, guess that's all I need to say about my <laughs> who I am. Uh, first uh, section we'd like to fill out is why do we share our personal testimony? Why should we share your, our personal testimony be- before beginning? our bible studies. Does anybody have a clue? Uh, First off, it's a blessing. Uh, You can fill that in. It is a blessing not only for yourself, but for others. I would even say not only for others, but especially for yourself. Every time I get to share my personal testimony, it just drives Mm -hmm. what God has done even more deeply in my life, and it actually uh, is a reminder to me of, oh yeah, that's why I'm a Christian, or oh, that's why I do what I do. probably a good idea to keep doing it (laughs) so it is number one a blessing and secondly it creates a desire in the person you're studying with to know God Um, there is something so powerful uh, in the personal testimony and we will see that as we go on so again secondly it creates a desire in others to know God and lastly it gives you the Bible instructor the credentials they need to count on you and trust you. Um, Again, uh, giving your personal testimony, especially of how you've come to understand the Bible or have come to want to give Bible studies to people, will let them know, okay, this person actually knows what they're talking about, this is their experience, I can trust them when they have to study the Bible with me. Uh, In Desire of Ages, page 347, the third paragraph, Um, It says, our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. We are to acknowledge his grace as made known through the holy men of old. But that which will be most effectual is what? The testimony testimony of our own experience. I think it's fascinating that when we make confession of God's faithfulness by uh, dwelling on how he has dealt with the lives of the people in the Bible, the holy men of old. Uh, We are doing a wonderful uh, justice in revealing Christ to the world, but something is more effective than even doing that, and that is when we share our own personal testimony. It continues on to say, we are witnesses for God as we reveal in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. Every individual has a life distinct from all others. And an experience differing essentially from theirs. Uh, Your experience is going to be different from the person sitting next to you and is different from something that God has brought my husband and I through. I think that that's such a blessing, and that's why we need everyone because I can't reach someone that maybe Bethany can reach. Sorry, Brittany can reach, or she can't reach someone that her sister Marissa can reach, even though they're siblings. And so God definitely needs all of us. Continuing on, God desires that our praise shall ascend to Him, marked by our own what? Individuality. individuality. Uh, we each uh, have, uh, have yeah, we each have an individuality that is unlike anyone else. Um, if we were birds, uh, your song would not sound the same as mine. And so God needs all of us. I think we get that point. <laughs> uh, these precious acknowledgments, Ellen White continues to write, to the praise of the glory of his grace when supported by a Christ-like life, have an irresistible power that works for the salvation of souls. I think that that's one of the reasons why it's so important to share our testimony, because it's a power that people cannot resist. If it is backed up by what? A soul. A Christ-like life. Now that's one way we can uh, nullify the power uh, of our testimony and that is if we don't live a life backing up what we're saying. So now let's go on to some tips of what to do when you share your testimony and what not to do. First, we must keep it centered on none other than Christ. That's right. Then Uh, We want to keep it brief, no more than two to three minutes. And I actually have my students practice this. And now this testimony I'm talking about is the testimony you give at the very beginning of your Bible study, right after you do the introduction, like my husband was saying, when you segue from meeting the individual into actually the Bible study. So after you come into their home, or they come into yours, or let's say you're meeting at Starbucks or some... uh, Uh, I guess general area. Maybe you're at a park bench right outside your school campus, something like that. And uh, you make friends for a little bit, uh, wait till the Bible study contact is comfortable, and then you kind of give an introduction. And it includes this, your personal testimony. Go ahead and take about two to three minutes, and then go from there into your Bible study. So hopefully that kind of places where you would do this um, during your Bible study. And it must be brief because, again, how long should your entire Bible study be with the person? No more than about an hour. So you want to make sure that you spend the majority of time that you're with the person on the actual Bible study and only about two to three minutes on your actual personal testimony. Of course, you want to share it with enthusiasm, loving enthusiasm. And you want to identify with the person that you are studying the Bible with as much as possible. In fact, I actually uh, adjust my uh, personal testimony depending on the person I speak with. If I'm speaking with a teenager, I definitely highlight the elements of my testimony during my teenage years. If I'm speaking with a business person or a professor, I obviously will emphasize other things. Um, Ethnicity has a part to play. Uh, And we get all of this, obviously, as much as possible. You want to mirror the person or show that, wow, I'm just like you or I've had an experience just like you. So if I know my Bible study contact was abused, I will definitely keep that in mind when I share um, aspects of my Bible study so that I can let them know, you know, I may not have gone through that particular type of abuse, but I kind of know what it's like because um, I've had other instances where I have felt taken advantage of. Does that make sense? So you really want to make sure that the person feels really comfortable with you. And before you share your testimony, it would be a very uh, good, good thing to have it memorized. Because uh, again, the effectiveness is when you're actually looking at the person eye to eye, you're there with them versus I'm reading it, looking up and down. Um, that kind of takes away from that power that you can have uh, to help someone uh, be drawn into your study. Now let's look at what we should stay away from or things we shouldn't do when we share our testimony. Please uh, refrain from using language that people will misunderstand. Uh, For instance, uh, these phrases I, I try to steer clear away from. When I came into the truth, or, when I saw the light, what on earth am I saying? <laughs> um, or, I was raised in the faith, but then I apostatized. I mean, this poor Hindu individual will be like, well, what, what is that? What does that mean? And I thought it was kind of interesting that um, I've heard this several times with some Bible students I've apostatized. You know, no such word actually exists. It is correctly, grammatically stated. I apostatized, not apostatized. And I just, I'm an English major, so I had to throw that in there just for kicks, just so that at least this classroom, you'll be saying it grammatically correct. So, uh, secondly, don't glamorize sin when you mention uh, your testimony. If you dwell on just how it felt when you took drugs or whatever it was, uh, um, that might have the person all they would remember was that, and not how God helped you overcome. So we want to, as much as possible, um, focus our our most important parts on other things, obviously, on Christ, keeping it Christ-centered. Let's make sure that we are mindful of the religious background and experience that our Bible study contact is coming from, and refrain from speaking critically of other churches. Maybe you're, you're not quite sure their faith or what they believe and, or maybe what their relatives, uh, where their relatives go to church. So if you start coming down on a particular denomination, uh, you might shoot yourself in the foot. So please uh, do not speak critically of other churches when you share uh, maybe how you left one f- uh, denomination and, and joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church or um, other things like that. And uh, do your best to not use distracting mannerisms. Now, what are some mannerisms that you have seen either professors, teachers, or speakers, or even pastors do that have distracted you? Can anyone think of any? Yes. During prayer, saying Father, like, um. Yes. Yes, I, I concur. I have felt distracted during that time. Anything else? Uh, Whenever my students come up front and they start putting their hands in their pockets, I already know we're in trouble. Uh, When they start moving their leg like this, there's uh, something about swaying that I've seen. I don't know if it's just a soothing uh, thing for a person speaking up front when you're nervous, but it can start to get your audience dizzy. Well, I don't know. (laughs) It it can make them uh, more focused on you and not on what you're saying. Um, oftentimes, it doesn't, it's not even a mannerism, but something you wear. Uh, ladies, y- your, your hair can be a distracting uh, thing. Uh, for instance, I tell my, I've i told my speech t- uh, students, uh, we do not, as Adventists, believe in the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Please pin your bangs to the side if it's gonna fall over your face and you have to constantly put it behind your ears. In other words, you want to, as much as possible, make it so that, again, your Bible study contact is focused on what you're saying and not on you as an individual per se. Any questions so far on that? Okay. Now let's go to fill that wonderful Christmas tree-looking-like model on your handout. And before I do that, I just want to mention three important things that constitute your personal testimony, whether it be uh, giving it during a Bible study or up front at church for a testimony, you can use this. Uh, The first one is my life before I met Christ. The first segment is my life before I met Christ. The second one is how I met Christ. And what do you think the third one would be? My life after I met Christ. And we always want to make sure that we include a Bible text that summarizes your personal testimony. So uh, when you fill it out here on this personal testimony, I like to call it Christmas tree. The top triangle is your life before you met Christ. So go ahead and uh, fill that in or draw an arrow to the very top triangle of the Christmas tree there. and that represents how, how much of your personal testimony you should dwell on your life before you meet Christ. The middle part of the Christmas tree is how you met Jesus. What was the uh, pivotal point in your experience that caused you to uh, go to that seminar or uh, to study your Bible or to rethink about some of the choices you made. And then the third portion, the very bottom of the Christmas tree that is the largest, is your life after you met Jesus. And then the last part, which is this square, kind of the uh, base of the tree, is where you would use a Bible verse to either challenge or encourage your Bible study contact. So in case you missed it, I included it up here. The top part is... Uh, the portion that you would spend for your time before you met Jesus and then the middle is how you met him and then what is your life now like now that you have given your life to Christ now question why would it be in this type of order any ideas why uh, we have uh, these three elements in this particular format yes very good I agree I mean, it's very important to keep uh, a flow or structure of your personal testimony. Now, why would your your life before you met Christ be at the very top and not here at the very bottom? Yes. So that they remember the life after Christ better because that's what you spend the most time on. Yes. Exactly. Wonderful. If you notice, the, the very top is, is more narrow uh, and, and it's less, than, and it starts to get bigger as you go down. And so it's just a, a visual reminder that we really want to focus on um, how good God has made our lives since we've met him versus how our life used to be. And always end with a Bible text. Uh, why would it be good to, to use a Bible verse to summarize your story? Any ideas? Yeah, exactly. Um, here's what um, I found that I thought was really interesting. Uh, if you read on your pamphlet, uh, Counsels to Writers and Editors, page 50, it says, Cling close to your Bible, for its sacred truths can purify ennoble and sanctify the soul. You must hold the truth and teach it as it is in Jesus, else it is of what? No value value to you. Before the light of God's truth, let human opinions and ideas and human wisdom and even human personal testimonies appear as they are in the sight of God, as foolishness. Without the Bible attached to it, what we say really has not the best weight. Even though it is really powerful to share what your experience has been, uh, when you attach it to something in the Word, it just sinks that even more kind of like in concrete with the individual. I don't want to say I disregard testimonies when they don't have a Bible text uh, accompanying them, but I, f- I definitely feel like something's missing when someone shares a personal testimony and they don't s- share a Bible text at the end. And just uh, to give you maybe some ideas of what verses you could use, uh, these are the ones that I have used that I have found helpful to me. And you may jot these down, Luke 19, verse 10. Why don't we turn there? Luke 19, verse 10 is one of my favorites. uh, Whenever I liken my life to that of Zacchaeus. Oftentimes I'll share my personal, uh, personal testimony uh, f- mirroring the life of Zacchaeus. And I like to use this if I'm a- especially speaking to a, a someone who is affluent um, or someone that has had a high position or has been a leader, is a leader, because they can relate to Zacchaeus. I end that personal testimony uh, with this verse, Luke 19, verse 10. And um, let's see. Would you mind reading this? wonderful. And then I share how uh, that's what the Son of Man did for me. He came and found me stuck up in my tree, trying to stay away from everyone, kind of curious as to who he was. I didn't want to really get that close, but he came up to me up in that tree and told me to come down because he wanted a face-to-face personal relationship with me. And I believe God wants a personal relationship with you that way. And that is why I believe he's brought me to study the Bible with you. So you see how you can tie that in. Another one I like to use is Galatians 1:15 and 16. We'll turn there. Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And this one I like using whenever I'm talking to a mom, whenever I'm giving a testimony to a mom. Now, I see, I think, three moms? Three moms here? Four. One, two, three. May I see the, the hands of those that are are blessed to be mothers in this room? Three. Oh, okay. Um, would, would one of you moms like to read that for us? Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Should I read it? Oh, okay. I, I see. Well, then you can follow along <laughs> as I read it. Galatians 1, 15 through 16 says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. I share this, obviously, in um, sharing the, the, the aspect of my testimony of God calling me out of my home and away from my family so that he may reveal Jesus in me, ultimately to use me to preach to others, to give Bible studies to those that want to uh, know more about him. And uh, we won't go through the rest of the other verses, but you could use Hebrews 7:25. I've done that one, where it's God saving us to the uttermost. I like to say the guttermost to the uttermost. Um, <laughs> another one uh, is, and this one I I particularly like. I haven't heard anyone use this one. That's John, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 15:19. Jeremiah 15:19. It talks about taking the precious from the vile, and I liken it to Jesus looking at the rubbish here and seeing something precious somehow in dirt like me. And I usually share this with someone who feels that way, who's, who's really felt like there is nothing good in me. And I, I go there to let them know, you know, I can relate. And yet, look what God thinks of us. He is extracting the precious from the vial every day. And he sees something so precious, so valuable in you that he would send someone like me to knock at your door. So anyway, I I love um, finding new verses and trying to adapt my testimony with those verses and try to see how I can, again, bring it back to the Bible. So as a review, uh, what is is, uh, one reason why we share our personal testimony? I gave you three. What is one reason that uh, we should share our personal testimony? That's right exactly very good it is a blessing uh, not just to others but to ourselves I really hope that you that we uh, incorporate sharing our personal testimony on a daily basis a lot of people think oh a personal testimony is my life story no 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 this is not what we're talking about here you can share that at church um, you know at, at a different setting but daily we should let others know what god has done for us today and that is a testimony um, of of his goodness and what is something to to keep in mind when you give a your testimony we should keep it long keep it short short. how long two to three minutes minutes would be good when you give a a church testimony about 20 minutes i i would roughly recommend but when it comes to actual personal testimonies try to do it so uh, In two to three minutes, such as uh, how can I do it while I'm at the uh, in line for the uh, to check out at at the market? How can I share it with someone behind me, real quick? That's kind of how I've gauged it. You know, oh, I'm in the elevator. How can I do it before I get to my floor, and or the other person leaves? I like to play games with myself to see how fast I can actually do it. And uh, what is something not to do when you share your testimony? Yes. Let's uh, keep it Christ-centered and not focused on uh, the sin that uh, we all uh, have experienced in our lives in different ways. And uh, there are three parts to it, if you want to think of the Christmas tree triangle, Um, or really four parts. The first part is my life before I met Christ should be the shortest, and then it gets a little bit bigger, too. Yeah. What was it that caught your attention and caused you to stop going this direction and turn and go the opposite direction. And finally, we should spend most of our time on our lives after Jesus has come in and what he has done for us. And then always end with a scripture text, a Bible text that summarizes your story and uh, helps relate or helps you identify with the person you're studying with. Are there any questions about uh, this part? Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for your time and for your participation.
0: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www audioverse.org